Her Stories. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Her Story, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Please give a warm welcome to Foreman Bob of Bob the Builder Incorporated. Can you fix it? No, we can't. And how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing pretty well. I'm a little disappointed now that you can't fix it. Yeah, well... Here we are. Say la vie. So is life. You know. Well, historians, we have a few more weeks left of our merch campaign on Bonfire, so make sure you head over there to grab that swag. 20% of the profits will be donated to the Henry Street Settlement in New York City. Absolutely. Go support women, the podcast, and rock our new swag. You know what I mean? Look good in our new Her Story face mask. Yeah. Save lives and, and support sweaters, women. Yeah, and sweaters. That. Well, sweatshirt. Sweatshirts. But, for you know, it for counts. the fall season, gotta be fashion forward. Exactly. Well, today's Her Story lesson was actually suggested to us by our dear friend, Ellie. Thank you so much, Ellie. I had the best time researching this episode. Yes, thank you very much for that submission. And uh, just so the historians know, we happily accept submissions. So definitely reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, through our webpage, email. Give us those episode requests. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to hear someone that you, uh, if you want to hear a story about someone and you want us to talk about them, we'll do it. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. Well, let's talk music. I like music. Me too. Nice. (laughs) Alberta Hunter was born in Memphis, Tennessee in 1895 into crippling poverty. Sorry to burst the bubble right at the start. That was very fast. You know. Right out the gate. (laughs) Her mother worked as a maid in a brothel, and she never knew her father. Her mother remarried when Alberta was young, and she never did get along with the new setup suffering abuse and a very, very rough early childhood. She decided that she just couldn't take it anymore. She ran away from Memphis all the way to Chicago at the age of 11. I needed help taking public transportation to go from <laughs> school to home in from Queens to Queens. Yeah. So <laughs> she is very, um, she's a strong, oh, yeah. diligent girl Absolutely. at 11. Absolutely. Well, she chose Chicago because it was a popular place that many African Americans were relocating to during the early 20th century. When she arrived, she took a job for $6 a week at a boarding house, peeling potatoes, and was provided a room. I had to remind myself when we were, just like during the Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell episode, and based on my research, $6 a week was about the average income for households. Now, here comes... A shocking wealth gap. Are you ready? No. Mechanical engineers were making about $96 a week. Okay. Dentists and accountants were making about 86 And vets were making anywhere from 28 to $77. i am curious what? why, like, what What makes a $28 who, vet who do, and what makes a $77 yeah. vet? Who decides what does that? that? Yeah. <laughs> also, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's just such a shocking gap. So it's just kind of crazy, and I definitely went down a weird rabbit hole of wages, but it certainly paints quite a picture. Quite a sad one. Yeah, Yeah. not a very um, equal opportunity ways. Opportunity. (laughs) Opportunity picture. Opportunity. (laughs) Alverda always looked and carried herself in a way that made her seem older than she really was. 
She started to dress in clothes that really sold the I'm totally old enough to be here look to be able to get into clubs to try to get singing gigs. Wow. It is believed that she began unofficially performing around 1911 when she was just 16. Goodness. I know. Super young, especially in that kind of scene, right? 16. So she started singing at Dago Frank's soon after. Dago Frank's was rough. It was a brothel on Chicago's South Side run by notorious gangster Francesco Cirofici. Kind of a hard last name to say, but... I think the only Chicago gangster I know of is Elliot Ness, and that's from um, that Johnny Depp movie. It was Public Enemies with uh, Christian Bale. Mm. The Untouchables also is more of the... Yeah, yeah. More of the yeah noticeable one. Right. Francesco Cirofici, a.k.a. Frank Morado, a.k.a. Dago Frank, hence Dago Franks. Mm. He ultimately was sent to Sing Sing and was sentenced to death for a murder he and a handful of his stupid goons committed on July 16th, 1912. After Dago Franks closed, because obvious reasons, Alberta got her big break in 1917 at the Dreamland Cafe where she performed alongside legends such as King Oliver, Louis Armstrong, and Lil Hardin Armstrong. It's like the Coachella of its time. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Right. Really insane. That's a great lineup. By the way, she was just 22. Wow. I know. She was billed as the sweetheart of Dreamland. She attracted large crowds of both black and white people who were continually mesmerized by her performances. She would reportedly get the audience involved with thigh slaps and finger snaps, making it a unique experience for everyone. I like the audience audience um, interaction. Mm-hmm. The audience participation. Yeah, participation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like... Was it Evil Dead had that too for the musical where there would be like, <laughs> like blood call lines and, and all that? Yeah, stuff, yeah, and you had to like cover your face or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Oh, uh, the play that goes wrong too. That, that was has, one where they like came fun... up to us and mm-hmm. interacted with us. Yeah, that wow. was hysterical. Interesting. And what she would do, uh, based on what I could find at least, was uh, she would have some people on the like thigh slaps and mm-hmm. some people on the snaps. And then create this whole, like, percussion with the audience. I would love to be in the room where that happened. <laughs> oh, there's that Hamilton. I needed at least one. <laughs> Alberta began to grow weary of the violence and rough-and-tumble atmosphere surrounding the club scene. And when her pianist was struck by a stray bullet and murdered during a performance, she decided she'd had enough of the shenanigans. That sounded super casual. Too I wonder. Casual, I wonder right? how much of a uh, how much of a normal People thing that was. People are just like shooting off guns, apparently. Straight bullets and clubs in Chicago. Hitting the actor, like time, hitting the performers. The, pian- the pianist, yeah. Yeah, that's insane. crazy. After five years playing Dreamland, she took a chance and moved to New York City. When asked about what the move meant to her career years later, she said. If you had worked in Chicago and had been recognized there, you were somebody, baby. New York didn't count them. Oof. Ouch. Shots fired. That's things a little bit. A little bit hurtful. It's my city. Shouts out New York City. It just also kind of shows that she was so willing to be nobody in a place that wasn't anything to get out of those that club scene in Chicago. She was just, you know, I feel like... Watching your pianist get murdered during a show would probably change you. Affect me, for sure, (laughs) to say the least. Mm -hmm. 
for a while, she traveled the Keith Albee vaudeville circuit, becoming recognizable around the States. While performing in Cincinnati, Alberta met Willard Townsend, and they were married in 1919. Their marriage was strained to say the least, and they were divorced just four years later in 1923. Years later, she revealed that she was a lesbian and had hid her sexuality. She believed that her career would have likely been squashed if she came out in the beginning stages of her career, and sadly, this is probably true. She had the triple whammy. Black, woman, lesbian. Oh yeah, first time, I'm sure that it would have been such a hassle to try for her to try to make it in that industry. I mean, she would have just been completely ignored. I still think that's kind of an issue now. Oh, that, absolutely. Like, at least the, the difference is now that... Um, we have, you know, this, um, we have these ideas of identity, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. before they didn't. So, I mean, people were just, the discrimination was Mm -hmm. being leveled, but now it's way more apparent that people are being affected by that and, um, you know, change is happening. So it's unfortunate that she had to be a sacrificial lamb for this cause. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when she was getting settled in New York City, she quickly teamed up with pianist Fletcher Henderson and started to cut tracks with Black Swan label. Her initial records for Black Swan in May of 1921 were the first blues vocals recorded by the company. Black Swan is such a cool name for Uh, a label. Oh, right? And here's the best part. Black Swan Records was founded in Harlem, New York, and was the first widely distributed label to be owned, operated, and marketed to African Americans. Shouts out to Harlem, the Heights, <laughs> and every place in between. That's awesome. I love reading and learning about the Harlem Harlem Renaissance and the Chicago Renaissance. Mm-hmm. So I think you cool. should you should do like a deep dive into Black Swan. I think I you would love what you uncover there. Possibly. She hint. Re- hint. <laughs> She recorded hit tracks that were rumored to have kept the label up and running. Tracks such as He's a Darn Good Man to Have Around, How Long Sweet Daddy How Long, and Someday Sweetheart. Damn, you know, I don't envy anyone whose job it was to name these songs. Like, I don't know (laughs) if she had any say in that, but like... Uh, that's that's just such a mouthful. Imagine trying to read that on the marquee, like, hey, what what song is she playing? Oh, uh, don't come down the stairwell because there's a footstool in between. Like, that's such a long title in between. Like, I'm so glad people Super just have catchy. songs that are just like air, heart, love, passion, grief, zoom. Yeah, zoom. <laughs> zoom. <laughs> These recordings ended up being pressed up for other labels, Puritan, Harmograph, and Silvertone. They were done under pseudonyms, though. Josephine Beattie, Alberta Prime, Anna Jones, and May Alex, to name a few, the last of which is actually the name of another real-life singer. Though New York was her home, Alberta traveled frequently to Chicago to perform. Paramount bought out Black Swan, and Alberta began recording with that label. Hey, she made start making some big money then, Paramount. Mm-hmm. She showed her talent for writing when she published Downhearted Blues, which became a massive hit after Bessie Smith recorded it the next year, giving Columbia Records one of its first huge hits. I didn't realize Columbia Records was was around that long, but yeah. can you imagine that Paramount, like, like, we know them as the people who did, like, 
you know, movies. Right. Like, you know, some of the some of the biggest movies of our time. And but they were also creating the, like, official soundtrack and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, so interesting I, I wonder if they, they did, did like, music first, sign. and then from there they did film, or oh. if they kind of did it, uh, co- you know, uh, cohesively, like, at the same time. I, I feel wonder. like they did music first, and then, like, as the advancement of um, filming uh, happened, mm-hmm. then they were getting into Shifting that business too finding that they yeah. had a talent there mm-hmm. interesting i wish i had gone down that rabbit hole but i didn't next episode <laughs> in 1922 alberta became the first black singer to perform with an all-white band hey. the original memphis five nice she decided to get involved in new york's african-american theater scene and in 1926 she replaced bessie smith as the lead in how come oh snap Leaving the usually stuffy Broadway audiences in awe of her raw and powerful voice and performances. Mm-hmm. Alberta loved the magic of live performances, and while theater and musical venue gigs were her main focus, she kept recording on the side. Recordings such as the legendary sessions she had with the Red Onion Jazz Babies for Jeanette Champion's New York studio with none other than Louis Armstrong and Sidney Bichette. This session gave us Cakewalking Babies from Home and the vocal version of Texas Moner Blues. She recorded sessions backed by Fletcher Henderson's first orchestra, and even sessions supported by Fats Waller, one of my personal favorites, UB Blake, Lovey Austin, and Tommy Ladnier. Casual for a side gig, no? I do love me some Fats, (laughs) I won't even lie to you. I I was was just listening to him like a week ago. It's funny you mention him. Wow, so she basically had like the, that that day's equivalent of like the Avengers helping her in terms (laughs) of like with her musical career. Mm -hmm. Just like you got the the Louis Armstrong, you know, so Iron Man with the smarts and the Mm -hmm. tech and the theater. Just just everyone helping mm -hmm. her out like that. Everyone who was in that position and had the platform was helping her. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important to note. Absolutely. Absolutely. These people had the door open for her. They were like, listen, you're incredible. Yeah. Louis Armstrong held the door open for her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's worth noting. In all, she recorded over 80 sides before 1930, most before 1925. You said sides? Sides, yes. A sides and B sides. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. (laughs) In 1927, tired of the rampant racism and discrimination on a day-to-day basis, Alberta left for Europe to begin a lengthy tour. She said, quote, The Negro artists went to Europe because we were recognized and given a chance. In Europe, they had your name up in lights. People in the United States would not give us that chance. Her tour started in Paris, where she was welcomed with open arms into the bourgeoisie circle of expatriates now residing in France. Mm. She began to share her experiences abroad in the Amsterdam News, which was New York's preeminent African-American newspaper. Alberta left Paris in early 1928 to star as Queenie in the London production of Showboat opposite Paul Robeson. Here's a little something... To make your blood boil. Oh, no. So for those of you unfamiliar with this musical, you all know the song. 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 (laughs) You know the song they sing to. You all know the song Old Man River. Uh, Old Man River. That one, yeah. Thank you. And this this is where that song comes from. It is a show with music by Jerome Kern and book and lyrics by everyone's favorite, 
Oscar Hammerstein II. It is based on Edna Ferber's novel that follows the lives of performers, stagehands, and dock workers on a Mississippi riverboat called the Cotton Blossom. It addresses racial prejudices and more. The character Queenie is a black woman. However, when the original production opened on Broadway in 1927, the role of Queenie was played by a white actress, Tess Gardella, in blackface. The role of Queenie wasn't played by a black woman until our Queen Alberta Hunter slayed the role in London. You know, I was squinting my eyes the entire time you were reading that because I was waiting for the hat to drop. Get it together, Broadway. And then you said that, and I was like, damn, that's of. I'm not even. I want to be more phased, but like, I can't even put it past people being so racist that, like, that, like. Just I'm so to me. I'm like I'm this upset, whole, but I the man. whole story surrounds this black woman and the racial pre- racial prejudices that she and the rest of the people on the cotton blossom I'm, in Mississippi. I want to say face. I'm surprised, but given how 2020 has been panning out, I don't even I'm not even I'm desensitized not to it all. All this like I'm not even shocked at all. I wish I could be, and that's super sad, but like. There's just so Ugh, much. There's just so much crazy. blatant racism that, like, yeah, history was super bad. Yeah, I yeah. can't even. I want to be more upset. <laughs> I'm, I'm. Yeah, he, his whole body language has I just now crossed shifted. my arms. <laughs> I'm more. I'm upset that I can't be more upset. But yeah. I'm so bothered by yeah. the naturalization of racism mm-hmm. in terms of acting and Broadway that, like, yeah, absolutely. Sh- Get it together, Broadway. Yeah, I literally broke it together, She has it there, Broadway. but also, like, get it, get together. it together, Broadway. <laughs> like, we're not going to do that anymore. Her- it's cute, but we're not going to play that anymore. Her run on the West End in London was extremely successful, and she remained in London for the remainder of the year. She laid an extensive series of records with an orchestra led by Jack Jackson, not to be confused with Jack Johnson. Damn. <laughs> I was going to say, is he's, he related? He's not, because Jack Jackson, who names their kid Jack Jackson? Jack but here we are. Jackson. But not. That's great. <laughs> so these records were an entirely different sound and were pop records inspired by the London music scene at the time. So she's like, I'll do blues. Oh, let me do Broadway for a minute. Let's do a little pop. Let's do a little London she's pop. She's trying to do it. She's yeah, awesome. She's trying to do it all. The following year, she returned stateside to racist oppression and oops. A serious lack of work due to the Great Depression. Damn, if only it wasn't another year, uh, 2020 (laughs) and not another year. (laughs) Like, that's crazy. After significant personal and financial struggles, she was, much like my speech, Ah. she was able to return to Europe and resumed recording. In 1935, she played a role in the English film Radio Parade. She was part of the final sequence that was shot in color. She caught the eye of NBC executives, and she returned to New York City for a short time for a job with NBC Radio. She settled in the States permanently in late 1938, after the State Department warned of imminent war in Europe. She had a dedicated fan base, but recording dates were hard to come by. Alberta wasn't one to be deterred, though. She joined the USO during World War II to entertain troops throughout Asia, Europe, and the South Pacific, Mm -hmm. and they absolutely 
loved her. I'm glad she was able to to do that. Yeah. Her appearances always drew large crowds. And according to those who saw her live, her recordings are a pale imitation of her live performances. Oh, nice. I love that. Normally, I feel like it's the other way around. Some people just don't deliver in their live performances and Mm -hmm. then I guess over deliver. Yeah. Or like just do like R2 extra. Try too much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She continued to be an entertainer with the USO during the Korean War before she came home in the mid-1950s to care for her ailing mother. After the war, she performed shows in England, toured Canada, played residences in Chicago, and then retired from active performing in 1954 at the age of 59. She says... I went as far as you could go. I played Broadway. I played the Royal Theater in London. I played in Paris, and I figured I had gone to the top. Do you think this woman could sit still for very long? I mean, after four decades of performing, um, I don't think the answer is going to be (laughs) yes. So feeling like she had reached the top of her performance career, she decided, you know what? I want to go into practical nursing. Oh, She lied about her age, full circle, faked a high school diploma, and enrolled herself in a three-year YWCA practical nursing training program. Oh, man. She was offered a job before she even finished her training and remained there for the next 20 years. Oh. Her nursing colleagues and her patients had no idea who she was, and Alberta liked it that way. Hashtag women in STEM. (laughs) She was coaxed out of her musical retirement only twice during her time as a nurse, unbeknownst to her colleagues, <laughs> once in 1961 to record with Lovey Austin, and once again in 1962 to record with Jimmy Archie. She kind of reminds me of um, that uh, uh, Duke, Duke, is it Duke Silver? Oh. Or is it Duke uh, from Parks and Rec? Yeah, Duke Silver. Duke Silver for like no one but... Ron. No one but Aubrey (laughs) Plaza knows that (laughs) he moonlights as a flute player. Yeah. No, he's a um, a, a saxophone. Yeah, yeah, he does jazz, right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. so she just, like, is this, like, you know, that's so funny. So, Alberta was forced to retire in 1977 due to the mandatory retirement age of 70. If you're remembering the age that I told you she started nursing at, you might be thinking, hey, those numbers don't add up. And you would be correct. The hospital thinks she's 11 years younger than she actually is because she lied about her age in the first place. 70 is the mandatory retirement age. Alberta was 81. Oh, While filling out a welfare request form, she said she was actively looking for work and that she'd only left nursing because she had been forced to retire. By all accounts, she was an excellent practical nurse, and she had amazing rapport with her patients. Does she stop there? I can't believe she didn't want to. At the 80, answer is no. At eighty-one, this legend launched her, com- her, launched her comeback career. Oh, in the singing. <laughs> okay, that's that's. She signed on for a two-week gig at The Cookery, a Greenwich Village club owned by non-Busman's uncle, Barney Josephson, whose previous establishment, the Cafe Society, was the first major desegregated club in New York City. Wow. This two-week gig was extended, and she performed there for an additional six years. Jeez. Alberta recorded four albums during the final years of her life, most notably Amtrak Blues in 1978. 
She performed before President Jimmy Carter at the White House and went on a worldwide tour through Europe and South America and performed at the illustrious Carnegie Hall. That's... She didn't want to stop. No. She was, you know, but at least, at least she was singing and not doing something like super physically laborious that would actually like injure her. You know oh, what injure I mean? her further, like, right? If she had, if she were gone trying to like get back on Broadway or career like, entirely. Been, yeah. Oh yeah, if even she was act um, performing on Broadway. Yeah. Did you know that um, Patty Labelle and uh, Gladys Knight are going to be like having like the a phone? No. Oh, Patty LaBelle? Uh, yeah, they're, oh. they're going to be having like a, um, what's called like a versus. So they're basically going to be going oh like song for song in terms of their hits. And I just think like, imagine having so many hits like those women. That you and can do that. And still wanting to do something like this. Mm. This is what this reminds me of. Oh, absolutely. This is like having so much under your belt and then being like, I could still do more. I'm just like, I can't. Yeah, she's I, like, I, I've still got life in me. Like, I'm actively looking for work. I would actively like to stop by the time I'm 60 so the fact that she wants to go after 80 is she's a robot well that same year 1978 she wrote music for the Robert Altman film remember my name and had a short walk-on role Alberta recorded in six different decades of the 20th century and had a career that was longer than a lot of people's entire lives yeah she was performing regularly at the cookery, drawing large crowds until just a few short weeks before her death, on October 17th, 1984, at the age of 89, wow. at the top of her career. Wow. Her gritty, weathered voice was a favorite of everyone who was fortunate enough to witness it in person. It's like a third win she had. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, so I'm going to rewind just for a hot second and talk about Amtrak Blues because I literally, this, I listened to it probably seven times through nonstop in one day while I was researching this. And I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. It's incredible. Everybody go. So you like it. It's so good. Okay. Because of her lengthy career and adaptability to flowing between genres, Alberta had and still has fans of all ages. She and Sippy Wallace were two of the earliest African-American singers to make the transition from brothels and dangerous clubs to international spotlights. Shouts out to those women. Mm-hmm. That is very impressive. At the NAACP Awards in 1984, Alberta Hunter was inducted into the Hall of Fame alongside Ella Fitzgerald, Marian Anderson, Gordon Parks, and Paul Robeson. Remember that name? Yes. They starred in Showboat together yeah. in London. Wow. Just for funsies, so we can all bask in the glory that was 1984. <laughs> Alfre Woodard... <laughs> One Outstanding Actress in a Motion Picture for her work on Cross Creek, and Jennifer Beals, One Outstanding Lead Actress in a Motion Picture for her work on Flashdance. Wow. 84? <laughs> 84. I feel like that's, like, we also hear about remember, that we thought we initially started this conversation in, like, 1896. Well, I know, I know, and here we are, like, <laughs> friggin' almost 100 years yeah. later. The That's Big awesome. Band and Jazz Hall of Fame inducted her in 1996, and in 2011, the Blues Hall of Fame followed suit. Rightfully so. She said, quote, tell them all, I'm up here keeping Memphis on the map. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Queen status right so there. So good. 
So, she had such an impressive legacy. I mean, what a life! I, and I'm glad also that How you is know. How's there not a movie about her? I wonder if they would do it justice. You know what? Maybe they could do it now because there's way more um, people to tell it through the right. Yes, lines. there are, there are the better people to tell these stories right now. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Tyler Perry has his, uh, you know, has that place in uh, Georgia and in, in Atlanta. He has a oh, whole right, studio that there. Whole studio. That's perfect for that. Would be like a perfect mm-hmm. set for them to film that there. They would um, have to get like seven different women to be her though, because they, different times in her <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, because she started. Per- she ran away at eleven. You can't leave that part out of the story. Well, that's fine. You do it like how they did the um the is it the Tina Turner musical oh, where yeah. you have it like different uh like at different stages different of her life. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know if you if you make that movie two and a half hours long, you could get you could do <laughs> each. Po- I already have it in mind. You could do <laughs> something like twenty twenty five minutes yeah. of each part just yeah. to kind of get like a glimpse of like what you know the the level of perseverance mm-hmm. um but also the the struggles that she dealt with and yeah. the oppression that she faced and overcame right i think that'd be really cool to see now and kind of compare it to what's going on and Absolutely. if time has really changed yeah it's a really you know her her story is just incredible so like again big shout out to ellie because like Shouts out. i had the it's best cool time do you see why i enjoyed researching yeah this? i see i, I mean see there it. were like moments where my blood was i mean i was having conniptions angry of course it, yeah. but yeah. you know mm-hmm. it's really a an, really great an important story i would think to tell mm-hmm. um in terms of you know her 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 walk of life was different from a lot of other women that we talked about, mm-hmm. and she also lived longer than a lot of other women we've talked about, and yeah. she also had two more wins than a lot of other women that <laughs> talked about. I mean, again, after sixty, I very much like to chill in my life. She said eighty. She, what's good with singing again and going on Broadway? She said eighty. I well, I spent any, twenty I years anymore. as a nurse. Let's I don't know. Let's go back. Yeah. Let's see what I can do. Yeah, like my grandmother <laughs> goes to the YMCA in the Lost Battalion Hall in the church, and she's like in her mid 80s. And this woman's like, let me just go sing nationally <laughs> and globally. And it's like, okay, well, you've been doing this long enough. I, I guess I'm not going to be the one to tell you no. I'm sure there were a lot of other lame, stupid men who were like, no. But, you know, she did have a lot of other people in she the industry. She had people championing her in that she industry, had, which was. Very I, I wonder amazing. how frequent that was, you know, where you had guys like Sammy Davis and, you know, Louis Armstrong, you know, like extending mm-hmm. that olive branch, you know. Mm-hmm. Now you kind of see a little bit more with social media where uh, people in, in same in similar industries can kind of big each other up and, mm. you know, promote. But when there was no social media, it was just word of mouth. So you had to be in the clubs with those mm-hmm. people, rolling with that circle. You had knowing, to put that you know, work in. It was yeah. like you had to have enough... Um, cloud and you know experience and capability in order for them to want to vouch for you because mm. they definitely also got the shit end of the stick oh um, absolutely what would you like to add i just spoke I think, a lot <laughs> you're not used to that mm. <laughs> i don't think our listeners are going to be used to that me either <laughs> you know i feel like we we got everything in there thank you historians for tuning in again Come back this Friday for an interview with Sarah Leaf, a dietitian, ex-ballerina, and current med school student. In this interview, she talks about getting through a career-ending injury, why she's passionate about medicine, and so much more. Goodness. Okay. All right. I'll bite. I'll tune in. Sure. (laughs) 
So you guys, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends. Help us get these stories out there. Please. Get that Her Story merch. And if you want some extra daily inspo, follow us on the social medias. Instagram at... Women of Her Story Podcast. Twitter at... The Her Story Pod. Check out our website at... Ofherstory.com. For even more exciting things, updates, collaborations, and all kinds of fun things. Do you have an episode suggestion like Ellie? Shoot us an email to... Women of Her Story Podcast at gmail.com. And until next week, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Bye. This is a New York Glitch production.